Welcome to the Rich With Purpose podcast, the finance podcast that's about more than just money. I'm your host, Taborjan Rasaya, financial advisor to hundreds of successful clients over the years. In each episode of this show, I speak with other experts in the complex world of money and finance, and together we discuss how you can ensure you make smart decisions with your money. Even more importantly, how to connect those decisions with your values and your purpose in order to achieve everything that is most important to you. Please note that everything we discuss is not personal advice, but general in nature. For the full disclaimer, please visit our website, richwithpurpose.com.au, where you can also register your details to get access to all our free resources. And please hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. In today's episode, I speak to Dr. Prash Pushpanathan. Prash is the CEO and founder of Caleb and Brown the largest cryptocurrency brokerage and consulting firm in Australia. What sets Prash apart, however, is his passion for the ideology of digital assets compared with the usual narrative, which is just about making money from trading. In this episode, we explore the entire world of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Most people are either afraid of exploring this new field of digital assets or are trying to make quick money through trading Bitcoin. But what we discuss in this episode focuses on the most important element that most people are not talking about, and that is the ideology behind cryptocurrency and why it has become such a huge global phenomenon. We also debunk a lot of the myths and why most people don't understand the fundamental drive behind digital currencies and assets. This includes a really interesting discussion about financial value and what value even means. Do you know what a dollar is actually worth? And make sure you listen to the end where we talk about the future of cryptocurrencies, data security, and global currencies more broadly. So if you're interested in learning about everything you don't know about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and digital assets, you will enjoy this episode of the Rich With Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Rich With Purpose podcast, Dr. Prash. Thank you for having me. Uh, great to have you on, uh, Prash. Um, we've known each other for a very long time. I can remember the first time we met when we were very young children, when you were growing up in Singapore. Um, the reason I wanted to get you on, obviously, we've spoken a lot about this, um, this concept of cryptocurrency or digital assets or Bitcoin or whatever it is, um, people call it. There's so many different terms and different areas that uh, we can go into non-fungible tokens or, you know, things that people haven't even heard of altcoins. Uh, Bitcoin being the, probably the most popular term that's thrown around a lot. This, this podcast, as you know, is about purpose and, and how we can make sure that when we're thinking about money, that we're doing it with a broader purpose in mind. How does it impact our lives? So, it might sound strange that we have someone on who's an expert in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, digital assets, but it's definitely an area that a lot of you out there listening are interested in, um, probably don't understand too much, most of you, some of you might. I certainly have, have a lot to learn. I probably know more, more than the average, but have, have a lot to learn. But, you know, you know, there's so much we can we need to understand about how it works, but I think really also Importantly, understanding how it fits in with the world. Uh, but before we get into cryptocurrency in the first place, how can you give us a bit of your background? How does a uh, a, a doctor in um, a doctor in psychiatry 
who grew up in Singapore, studied in in Australia, Melbourne, uh, then get into um, digital assets, cryptocurrency, and starts a uh, a brokerage firm for cryptocurrency. Yeah, it's um it's a journey that confuses a lot of people, and I've looked back on it often, and it's been a been a roller coaster ride and a really unexpected one. Um, how I got into it was, I mean, to an extent, by accident. Um, I, I am a medical doctor. I'm specialised in psychiatry. I've always very been very interested in the the ideological constructs um, behind mental health and mental illness. And it started with me. I was I was preparing a talk that I was writing. The talk was on cognitive liberty, um, the idea that we should have the freedom to think to the extent of the limits that our mind can possibly expand to. And I was researching the talk as one of those 2 a.m. in the morning rabbit holes, Wikipedia stub to Wikipedia stub, and I stumbled across this idea of fiscal liberty, which isn't a concept I had ever really acknowledged as being a thing. You grow up in uh, a developed world democracy, and you just take for granted that you have full um, liberty over your finances and your money. Um, Obviously, it's a very different scenario if you grew up in Venezuela or if you were you know, in Greece during the financial crisis. So these are things that we never had to encounter. But reading through this made me recognize that, all right, it's actually a concept worth considering. And that stub eventually landed me at the um, the Bitcoin white paper, Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin white paper. Um, and I was at it for hours. I didn't understand most of it, to be very fair. Um, and it took me a few days of going back to it to, to really get into it and understand it properly. But my mind was... Um, I think my mind was blown as putting it quite lightly, but that was how I first got into cryptocurrencies. That was my first introduction to cryptocurrencies. And from that point, it was very much an ideological and philosophical deep dive, which naturally gets followed up by wanting to put more and more money into it and investing in it. Um, And over the course of the last six years, um, seven years, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And when we say you're here, you're running a, uh, a cryptocurrency brokerage called Caleb and Brown. Um, anyone that wants to look it up, there'll be uh, links in the show notes. But um, uh, effectively, you know, most people transact their cryptocurrency on exchanges, I guess. Um, but uh, from what I understand, you pretty much set up one of the only, uh, I guess, what you could describe as similar to a stock brokerage, but yes. for cryptocurrency. Correct. So we started in 2016. Um, that's when Caleb and Brown was born. And it started off initially as an arbitrage trading desk um, because there was a significant arbitrage between international markets and local markets. Um, and that's that's how it all began, rather humble beginnings. And over time, that has expanded to we've got a team now of about 30 um, and functions as a full stack brokerage. And as it stands, we are the only retail brokerage in the world, which sounds like a really broad claim. And I, I sound, you know, I feel stupid saying it sometimes, but the reality is, yeah, we are the only retail brokerage for our primary clients, uh, medium to high net worth investors. Um, our average client is probably, average client demographic is probably about 45 to 50, which is very different to your traditional crypto investor demographic, but that's almost sort of why we exist. Um, to cater for that 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 proportion of the market that is looking to put larger amounts in, wants a more structured service, some more white glove service, if you want to call it that, um, someone to guide them through the entire process, um, and it's proven to be a very successful model. It's proven that there's a there's a distinct market for it because crypto is confusing for the uninitiated. Mm. Um, it's one of the main barriers to entry is that people just don't understand it enough. 
and a service mm-hmm. that helps smooth that process and makes it far more accessible. Yeah, great. Well, you know, any, anyone that's interested, look up uh, Caleb and Brown. Um, so before we get into, you know, I'm really interested in some of the things that you mentioned in why you got into crypto, you know, the philosophical aspect of it and, and practical applications and why it exists and why, you know, why, how it can actually help help us and help the world. But before we get into that, I think it's really interesting to consider how most people think about cryptocurrency now. I mean, if I think about um, my perception of how people think about it, it's probably very similar to how a lot of people still today think about shares or the share market or stocks, and probably even more so 30 years ago, how people used to view stocks. You know, we really don't know what shares are. There are these, you know, things that go up and down. The news talks about how it's gone up and down and it could be there one day, it could be gone the next and it, you know, goes up really fast and then crashes one day and you don't really have anything. You know, people talk about having something you can touch, you know, that's why we like investing in property, but that share stuff, that's, you know, that's some spooky thing that just, you know, uh, we don't understand. That was, uh, you know, how some people still think about it. But I think these days, a lot more people uh, having access to investing understand that shares are parts of businesses and they're actual things that exist. And uh, there are some fundamental things that uh, make them sensible to invest in. But uh, the narrative that I hear out there about cryptocurrency is definitely we don't understand it and it's gambling and it's some crazy thing. Um perhaps part of it is um, the same way that some stocks are, I guess, when they, they're not built, you know, a, a company that doesn't do anything that doesn't make any money, but people push the price up, you know, that's probably similar concept. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, how, how, how do you find most people think about this cryptocurrency world? Yeah. Um, look, things have changed in the last year to six months quite dramatically in terms of public perceptions for sure. And it's primarily due to institutional investors sort of finally waking up to the idea. But my life for the last five years has been, yeah, it's been a lot of banging my head against the wall and um, trying my best not to argue with people who have got distinctly stigmatic uh, misconceptions about what cryptocurrency are. That statement you you uttered earlier, which was, oh, we don't really understand it. It's, you know, it seems like gambling. Um, the, The two are... When those two statements in conjunction are things are often here, but you know if you don't understand almost if you don't understand it, then yeah, it's gambling. But it's gambling because you don't understand it. Uh, you can't put a value judgment on something when you don't understand it, and you're very clear about the fact that you don't understand it. Um, it's the hardest thing about cryptocurrency for most people is that there isn't a distinct parallel with the current in the current financial system as they know it. So there isn't something that they can easily abstract to and say, oh, it's like this, it functions like this because cryptocurrencies don't function like anything that we have today. In effect, understanding cryptocurrencies requires almost a complete dismantling of the way we understand the financial system now um, because it doesn't fit cleanly into the current model. It's far easier to explain explain cryptocurrency to an eight-year-old than it is to explain it to a financial advisor, no disrespect, uh, mainly because, and, and, and or to anyone who's operated in finance, because they're having to fit this into their pre-existing ideas. There's so much 
top-down processing that has happened over years and imprinted on how it works, that having to understand this is, um, yeah, it's really hard to, to break through. And mm-hmm. um, cryptocurrencies don't fit into, yeah, don't fit into any of these structures. Yes, in a way, they're a little bit like shares. In a way, they're a little bit like um, traditional currencies in terms of functioning as means of exchange. Some cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, for example, in a way are a bit like gold in terms of being a limited resource that, that function as a good value store. Um, the other thing to understand is that a lot of cryptocurrencies are technologies in their own right. Um, a lot of cryptocurrencies are have the capacity to build smart contracts on them and as a, in, in doing so establish a sort of you know, if this then that mechanism where currencies pay themselves, which turns them into sort of front-end technologies in their own right. And that isn't a parallel that we have in any way in the current financial system. So Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're, you're getting into some stuff that's, that's definitely going over a few of our heads already. So before we get into the practical applications and what cryptocurrency actually is, um, I, I guess let's, let's first take the assumption that um, all right, it's it's not necessarily gambling, but um, if if what I'm hearing you say correctly, that it's it's gambling if you don't understand it, which I I, I guess you know real realistically, if if you don't understand shares, then and you're buying and selling shares, then I would say that you're gambling, right? Everything, to anyone that's doing the same. Everything is gambling if you don't understand yeah. it. A relationship yeah. is gambling if you don't understand your partner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's almost a definition of gambling, no way. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't understand it, and even I mean, if we stick to investments, you got you know property investing. Um, when when all properties are going up because property's just gone up for the last twenty years, then you don't have to understand it to make money, and that can give people the false sense that they understand it mm-hmm. and they know how to invest in it. But I've seen so many bad stories in all kinds of investments, even property, where people have lost lots of money. That I also have the belief that if you don't understand it um, and you don't have an expertise in, and not only just understand it, but have an expertise in it and a deep understanding, then it, you, yeah, and it, it's easy to make mistakes and then it does become like gambling again. So mm-hmm. um, I I take your point point on that and I can see how, you know, 100% that, that makes total sense. So so if we, if we start with that position that, okay, if we don't understand it, just yes. like anything, it, it's gambling, um, Where's the best place to start in terms of trying to understand crypto? Is it, you, you, I guess there's things like blockchain technology that we talk about and things like that, which does that form the foundation or the backbone of? Um, blockchain technology the is the underlying technological layer that underpins so much of cryptocurrency. So that's what they built on the sort of, that's the, the nuts and bolts with which mm-hmm. it's built. So that's important to understand to an extent but again, to be trading it, understanding, um, you know, to, to understand, to invest in property, you don't necessarily need to understand exactly how concrete works. And similar to crypto, yes, understanding blockchain technology is useful for under, understanding the whole paradigm, but it's perhaps, you know, that sort of a deep dive isn't the most necessary thing. Conversely, understanding the ideology behind it is probably the, the step I would start with right at the beginning because the ideology is what crucially is so different um, from what mainstream finance operates on and 
particularly in ideology, one of the most important things to accept or to break down is this idea of inherent value or intrinsic value. Um, it's one of the most common criticisms leveled against cryptocurrencies that there's no intrinsic value to it, um, and you know perhaps that's something we can we can get to in a little bit. But that's that's one of the main things that I would that would, that would ask people to try and explore, um, mm. you know, the true nature of intrinsic value, and maybe we can we can talk about that a bit later on. Um, beyond understanding the ideology, then I think it's understanding market economics. Um, in cryptocurrency. And really one of the few ways to do it is, yes, there's plenty of podcasts. There are um, YouTube videos on it, um, you know, countless of them. But one of the best ways to understand it is, unfortunately, to get some skin in the game and get a little bit of skin in the game. Not much enough, just a little bit of play money to truly understand how this mechanism works um, and get an idea of how the volatility of the market um, what it reacts to, what it's like to work and trade in a 24-7 market, a market that actually doesn't sleep, um, which is completely different to the way the stock market works. Um, understanding a market which is completely interchangeable across the range of different cryptocurrencies out there, which isn't all necessarily pegged to a dollar value. Um, that's something that you can only really understand once you have a little bit and start to play around with it. Um, that's probably the but let's let's way. say let's say that let's say you know I'm too busy. I've got more important things I want to worry about. I don't want to sit there trading and really mm -hmm. learning how to trade and learning how to do all that stuff. Um, if it's something that I should think about, um, I guess that's the first point. Why why do I even consider it? Um, you know, I'll just ignore it. It's it's too hard. I don't have time to put into it. So does that take us to the ideology then in terms of um, understanding why it's worth understanding why it's worth even talking about thinking and about, thinking about talking about yeah I mean, I mean the the second point of yes I don't have the time for it and therefore I don't have the time to operate and you know, operate in this and trade in it um, that sort of answers that's you know, that, that's why we exist without this being a shameless plug but that's very much the reason why we decided that it was a necessity for us to exist um, but you're not even going to get to that point if you haven't uncovered the value behind this and why it's necessary and why it has such a future um, and why so many cryptocurrency advocates talk about the decline of fiat and the decline of other value stores, including gold, um, mm. which is one of the best examples when we start talking about, you know, the ideology of intrinsic value. Sure. Is that, is that when we start thinking about, well, what is value that, that concept of intrinsic value, you know, people like when people do say, um, because maybe I'm a little bit more open-minded because, um, I mean, when we advise our clients, we're, um, we're always looking for what the best things are. Um, we, we know we like to challenge just uh, conventional wisdom um, because by doing that, you become better at everything you do. Um, but we're also not tied to, you know, recommending a particular product. We're not tied to products. We, we're, mm -hmm. in the, we're in the business of advice. We advise our clients on whatever they need to be advised on in order to get them to where they want to go. So, um, and achieve the things that are most important in their life, you know, achieve their purpose. That's the whole point of this podcast is that at the end of the day, it comes back to that. So um, because of that, I guess perhaps I'm a bit more open-minded than a lot of advisors who stick to traditional 
things that only they will invest in. And we don't recommend cryptocurrency, but um, certainly a student of learning more. Um, so I know that when I've had discussions with people, they say, you know, it's not worth anything. There's no substance behind it. But I kind of think to myself, but what is gold actually worth? You know, it's got its commercial value. It can be used to build stuff or in electronics or yeah, which jewelry is about or something like that. percent of its value. Yeah. So, but but that's not actually what it's worth. Is it's worth is whatever people want it to be worth, which makes it an, a really bad investment, really, because it's got no genuine value. And even when you think about other currencies, I guess when we talk about cryptocurrencies, um, the word currency, you know, automatically uh, makes that link, but what is a dollar worth? It's, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I guess in its traditional form, it's a coin, it's a, it's a piece of paper, a piece of plastic now in, in, a, in, in Australia. But um, you know, and, and even if you, you know, we trade, we transact money online, right? So it's not even the, the metal or the paper or the plastic. And yeah. then all it is, is it's what it can buy you is what it's worth. So if, if you allow me to get on my soapbox on this one, um, nothing has intrinsic value. The idea of intrinsic value is one of the biggest fallacies of human existence. Um, in the value is a, it's a shared delusion that humans engage in and operate in. And shared delusions are one of the cornerstones of a civilized society. Shared delusions are necessary to build complex societies because it's necessary to build com complex structures. You need to be able to abstract, to start build, adding, adding and building complexity on top of it. And money and this idea of, of value is one of those shared delusions. Nothing has intrinsic value, only, everything only has value as material value because someone else agrees on that value. Um, I think back about seven years ago, uh, working as a psychiatrist, I had a, I had a patient who was, um, who was psychotic. And somehow in the midst of that, one day he decided to erupt with this, I still think take it as a really poignant wisdom. Um, and he, at some point he said out loud in the middle of the, uh, middle of the ward, when I was eight, my daddy said to me, if you can't eat it, you can't it, sell it. And I think back on that and go now and think that's one of the best descriptions of intrinsic value. It's one of the closest descriptions of intrinsic value that I can actually think of from my psychotic patient from seven years ago. Anything beyond that really doesn't have intrinsic value. When, as we go along, I guess you're getting back to primal reproduction. You know, correct. That's as close mm. as we can get to intrinsic value. Anything beyond that, as abstractions of value go, yes, property is a much less of an abstraction because people think it's something they can see and they can hold and they can live in. So it's a, it's a less of an abstraction. Um, shares are a bit more of an abstraction, but people still believe that there's fundamentals to it because a company makes revenue and producing value. Although, you know, Tesla is one of the great examples of, the widening discrepancy between market capitalization and revenue. Um, and so yeah, any sort of anything, you know, any more than a below the surface um, scratch of the stock market will tell you that fundamentals have got uh, increasingly little correlation towards actual value. So that's a complete um, abstraction of value anyway. Uh, cryptocurrency. I guess a really, a really obvious example is, you know, art, right? So people sure, pay perfect. money for this, piece of canvas with mm -hmm. some paint yeah. or what do you want chemicals chucked on it yeah. 
and uh, they pay money for this thing. Um, and if you Completely just reflect on that, you value. go, that's what you're buying. Yeah. And the, the only way that it goes up or has any value is if somebody else is willing to pay Correct. for it. Which is why I will lend the argument that the main value in cryptocurrencies is that it doesn't deny that. It doesn't try to pretend that it's pure fundamental, there's any fundamentals behind it. To anyone who says, oh, but there's nothing behind it, yeah. Yeah, there isn't. It's a true free market economy. It is the most pure abstraction of value that you can find that doesn't hide behind a veil of having something else to add to that value. And in doing so, is far more trustworthy. It's that clock that's right twice a day as opposed to one that's always you know, $2 billion behind um, to stretch the analogy. It is very much what you get. There are no lies here. Um, there's no there's no accounting system you can hide behind. Every transaction is completely visible. The market cap cap is the market cap. It's openly visible to anyone, and its value is solely what someone else will pay for it. Okay, so hang on a sec. You're, you're, so you're saying that Bitcoin has no value. There is, as in, there is no use for it. There's no commercial use for it apart from what someone else is willing to pay for a Bitcoin, if you like. Is that, that is as simple as that? Commercial, that is an enormous commercial value. That, that in itself is an enormous commercial value as a store of value, as a transfer of value. It's an it has enormous value, principally because it allows you to disintermediate. It allows you to cut out middlemen hugely. You know, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, um, you know, there's a there's a huge move to let's say in global finance right now towards open banking. This idea and this idea of um, banking the unbanked. There are 1.7 or 1.3 billion unbanked in the world, and we need to provide banking services to them all. Whereas in the banking system, one of the primary dictum dictums is unbanking the banked, because when you have your own store of value. You don't need a bank. What's the point of this mm, bank mm, mm. that you give all your money to and then have to pay transaction fees to? And for, I mean, I, I, look, I'm not, I'm not going to go on about my distrust of the banking system, but you have to also acknowledge that that's a lot of where cryptocurrency sort of came from, um, was distrust with global banking systems sure, and financial sure. systems and the capacity to take back sovereignty of your own wealth. Um, and essentially function as your own store of value, your own banking system, your own financial system. Okay. So I think what you're saying there is that um, Bitcoin, if we use that as an example, mm -hmm. being able to buy and sell this thing called Bitcoin um, and let's say that it's a free, it's a free market and um, what you're saying is it's a freer market. And for those that want to read up and study on it, it sounds like you're saying that it's a freer market with less manipulation, less controls. And it's genuinely, genuinely the market transparency. So genuinely the market is determining the price. Okay. So we've got this freedom in the pricing of Bitcoin and therefore, I guess, therefore you, if, if the more people that use it, the more use it has, as a absolutely um, as something effect. that that as something that you can transact yeah. with, I guess. 
Like yes, this is yeah one of those criticisms often is like oh but what can mm. you use bitcoin for well yeah. yeah unfortunately that 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 argument falls foul of the fact that it, it, it is dependent on the network in fact facebook didn't have any value yeah. any use case when there were 100 customers either um yeah. and again the volatility of bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general that you see are testament to the size of the market um and it's just just getting to a trillion dollar valuation a trillion dollar market capitalization that's nothing. It's nothing mm-hmm. when you compare it to gold's market cap of what is it now, like eight, eight point something billion uh, trillion mm-hmm. um, global equities, which are in hundreds of trillions. Like it's mm-hmm. a one trillion market capital is absolutely nothing. So any, whether it's a geopolitical um, event or financial event, um, the response within the market is the equivalent of that of, of a rock being thrown into a, a fish pond as opposed to being thrown into an ocean sort of sure, sure. basic mathematics. And so the volatility yeah. is going to continue to be an issue until we reach scale. I don't okay, see that so, as a reason. Yeah, okay. So, so we, so we, tr- so we trust this, um, this thing that we can use. Let's put, let's put the volatility aside as, as you hundred percent said, things are very volatile until there's enough uh, people buying and selling it, which means there's enough people agreeing on what it's worth today, right? Like, like stocks that don't have much liquidity, um, they will be, you know, one cent one day, 10 cents the next. And uh, that's a lot of volatility. And one person buying it, one person can move it, right? So uh, when you have a billion people buying that stock, it's going to be far less volatile. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's put the volatility aside. That explains why it's still volatile being just a tiny, um, proportion of the world market, but we've said that it's a trustworthy, transparent thing um, because of the technology involved in it, the, and 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 because of the uh, there's no central control, which means that the people investing in it. So even at a trillion dollars market cap, it's still a huge number of people and a huge volume. Um, so there's a vast number of people that are buying and selling it, which means there's a vast number of people who are agreeing on what value it should be. And there's a vast number of people agreeing that there is some value in using this um, transparent, digitally uh, recorded, um, and transparency is probably the biggest factor, um, yes. thing to to put a value on it. Yeah. Um, okay, so then... Does that mean that it's kind of like, and we're just talking about Bitcoin now, because there's so many different other as- aspects mm-hmm. which we'll come to, but if we're just talking about Bitcoin, it's, is, it, is it a bit like gold? So people know what gold is. And then we, we said earlier that the value of gold is far exceeds its actual commercial use value. And I guess I would argue that the reason for that is that people trust gold. People say, I've got this lump of yellow metal. And because I know that billions of people around the world think that it's valuable and billions of people around the world will always pay something for it, which is where it gets its value. It is therefore a valuable thing. That's the Um, only reason. When in reality, when people talk about, oh, the world's going to end, we better buy gold. 
I think in my mind, why would you buy gold? What are you going to do with a piece it. of metal? You can't, <laughs> eat, you can't eat it. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, this is one of those great fallacies. And you know, it's some, exactly as you have said, it's something we agree on now. But can I consider the first guy who was offered a lump of gold for his goats? Consider what that economy was like. Consider that as a disruptive innovation and the heartache mm. that those disruptive innovators first went through. Consider when fiat money first came in, the first guy who was offered a piece of paper for his lump of gold and went, what are you, what are you smoking? What am I mm. giving you this for? Every major transition in our financial system um, has faced considerable consternation and difficulty and transition. Um, this is one of the most dramatic and also because the way we operate now where global finance is so connected and there's so much vested interest um, within, it makes that transition far harder. But it is not a transition that hasn't happened before. And in that way, the, great, the, the best parallel we can draw is, is exactly that, to gold. Gold has value because it's a limited resource. It's only limited resource we have ever really known. Whereas now you have something else that has come along that is also a limited resource, Bitcoin, but adds to that infinite divisibility, portability, transferability, immutability, uh, just rattling off words. Sound like Trans transparency is the, the, the biggest one that comes to mind for me, Absolutely, that, yeah. um, which, which links us back to blockchain because um, I think you can trace every transaction of bitcoin it's all traceable for eternity forever Forward and since the first since the first bitcoin yeah. so yeah. so people talk about um people talk about our oh, bitcoin's bad because it's used for the black market and things like that but is it's it is it the case that if it if they wanted to the authorities could go and find every transaction and yeah. link it back to who was and and it happens. We work. We work with, you know, e-crimes um, quite closely uh, on this. There are you do as uh, as in your your brokerage. Yes, we do. We either advise on it um, or work with them uh, on certain transactions. Um, and their companies. So like you'd be Chain bound analysis. by you'd you'd be bound by the anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism requirements that, are. you know, that yeah. we do. And as every as. cryptocurrency company yep. in, in Australia and now you know, gradually globally yep. is bound by. Um, and also you know, chain and analysis. So that, so it's a, just, to, just to explain that. So what that means, uh, Prash, is the same way that as financial advisors, whenever we help advise anybody or, or invest money for anybody, we have to make sure that we have to identify them. Firstly, we have to make sure they're a real person that we know who they are. Um, and we have to do some checks to confirm that the source of the money is not yeah. from money laundering and it's not from terrorism uh, activities. So, yes. so you're saying that, that for, from a cryptocurrency brokerage perspective, you also have to make sure that every person that trades with you in, in through your brokerage has to go through those same checks as well. As of the 1st of April, 2018, every single cryptocurrency business in Australia has to be licensed by Austrac and has to have a full AIML KYC policy. Um, our policies are essentially the same as you would find in any, any major bank. 
Yeah. Um, and this is so for those listening. K, for those listening, AML is anti money laundering. KYC is know, know your, your client. So yeah, um, we uh, yeah. So and this is the same with every most countries in the world. That's what has been adopted. So mm. that claim that crypto or Bitcoin is used for nefarious activity. Yes, it used to be true. It definitely used to be true back when it was still so small a market that no one was really paying it any attention, and so you can get by with it. Right, um, but that has distinctly changed. So you can still, the thing with uh, anything that's on the blockchain is that yes, there's infinite trans complete transparency. There just is an identifiability, right? The, you have your, your, all your wallets are completely visible. You don't necessarily have a name attached to those wallets, but where these anti-money laundering regulations come into play is that any time that there is an interface, a fear to crypto interface where you have to go through an organization such as us or any major exchange identity is tagged there so okay so it's kind of a it's kind of a move forward from the first of was the first of july 2018 that april 2018 from, yeah so so first of april 2018 so mm -hmm. as soon as jurisdictions require people to identify themselves to a transaction from then on, you couple that currency that. is tracked. Yeah, you couple that with the blockchain, with the transparency the blockchain system allows, yep. where everything is visible all the time. Yep. And what you have a system that it's like, I can't think of a worse system in which to try and launder money. Mm -hmm. I can't run anywhere. You can't take yep. it absolutely yep. anywhere. You know what's great for laundering money? Money. Hmm. That's the best thing. For it's a much, money. it's a, from my limited reading, it's a much stronger system than anything else we've got. And, you know, Absolutely. putting money through banks, we've seen the banks come under fire for not picking up, um, you know, money laundering. Uh, mm -hmm. The casino has been in a uh, big strife about that. And that's pretty easy, apparently pretty easy to do through that way. But it sounds like what you're saying is that now, as long as um, you're in a jurisdiction that is tracking and, and have those, uh, anti money laundering um, requirements. As long as you're in that jurisdiction, then yep. uh, which it's... basically every every you know developed most developing nations in the mm. world um, do follow that. In fact, I would also almost go so far as to say most developing nations are far more crypto forward than a lot of developed nations. Yeah, true. Because there's there's an opportunity to leapfrog. It's always the case, right? You have the opportunity to adopt a completely new financial model or be at the forefront of it because your systems are otherwise, you know, such outdated legacy systems that there, there isn't that much sunk cost in upgrading mm -hmm. them. And um, yeah, so much of the value is going to actually be steeped in the developing world. Yeah, okay. I, I wanna go back to to an example we, we mentioned a bit earlier just to, um, Make it crystal clear, because this stuff's—it's foreign to a lot, lot of, lot of us. Um, and and for anyone listening who hasn't studied um, crypto at all, a lot of what we're talking about is going to sound very strange and unusual. Yes, and I does apologize if I thought. get ahead of myself sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Prash, you've you've studied it deeply for many years. Um, I've studied and learned a bit more about it only in. Um, uh, in the last couple of years and still don't know much. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's worth, it's worth touching on a few basic points as they come up. So one thing that, that we talked about is, you know, the first time 
you know, when people used to barter, um, I was, you know, I, I do like to teach my son about some common sense financial things. So I was teaching him about what money actually is. And I found myself exploring, um, uh, he's, uh, he's eight turning nine. Uh, but this is a couple of years ago when we were talking about, it. he understands the way business works now, but, um, part of that, we need to understand well, what money, what is actually money. So we went back and talked about the history of how they never used to be money. And people used to just, you'd have a baker and a butcher and a farmer and they would exchange goods. And that's how towns and societies came about. That's how um, civilizations grew through the bartering system. And then one day people came up with these, this stuff that could be used rather than, yeah, rather than having to have a, uh, a cow that I could swap yep. for your, yep. um, your bread. Um, I could actually say, look, I've got some money that you can swap things for. So it becomes an intermediary system, which is what it is. So going back to your example of, you know, the first person that grabbed a lump of gold and said, here, um, I'll give you this lump of gold if I can have your goat. Yep. Um, that's, you know, that's literally how it would have been, right? And it would have needed enough people in that town or or enough people to say, yes, we like this shiny gold thing because it looks shiny and we can make it into or jewelry. And, and and it's scarce. It's hard to find. Yeah. And okay, yeah, um, and, and we trust it and we trust the people using it so that we're going to use it. Um, and then we go to, you know, I'm going to give you a piece of paper for your lump of gold. And by this point, people are valuing gold and, and, you know, this thing called gold is really worth something and uh, you don't want to lose it. You've got to be really careful with it. But then all of a sudden we're handing over a piece of paper. What, you know, what's, what's pay? It's just or, or coins, you know, this piece of, yeah. you know, I, I guess it's, you know, when at first it was being like little coins made of brass or copper or, or whatever. Silver. Or silver. And it was actually worth its weight in its silver. Or in yeah, gold, yeah, yeah. and then we have yeah. then moved to a, a sudden a yet another degree of abstraction mm. beyond it, where it's got nothing to do with the actual weight of the the, the value of the metal anymore. Mm, mm, mm. So it's just degrees mm. of abstraction that we continue to add on to it. Yeah. So so you're suggesting that this idea of let's let's talk about Bitcoin. Let's say that Bitcoin is a group of people that is now a market worth a trillion dollars what it actually is, is a group of people who are agreeing that it is worth something. And it's mm -hmm. got, we talked about blockchain and the reasons why people agree that it's worth something. And we're at the stage, a trillion dollars is a drop in the ocean. So it's this very small group of people who have agreed on it and the rest of the world who is, and you know, the rest of the market really, which is still operating with regular currencies. Um, are still coming to terms with, hang on a sec, why would I accept that this thing called this digital currency is worth swapping my real money for, in inverted commas? Is that, is that kind of um, what you're suggesting? Yes, in a lot of senses. And, and, and so the potential is that if, if blockchain technology, if digital assets, digital currency becomes more widely adopted. And we are seeing that with a lot of businesses using it, but let's say if, and when, or if it becomes more widely adopted, then it's like 
more and more people realizing that, okay, this is now a better form for us to transact value and use as a form to. At least with Bitcoin, certainly as a value store, because why would I, yeah. why, why would I want to be in an inf inflationary currency when I can be holding my value in a deflationary, yes. um, yep. defla deflationary asset class. Mm -hmm. um, and then with a lot of the other, I mean, when we start talking about the other cryptocurrencies is where we start to deviate slightly from or beyond, beyond just talking about it as a, as a fiscal um, construct and actually as an entire technological um, ecosystem, because that's yeah. what a lot of other cryptocurrencies are, which I alluded to briefly earlier, hmm. that each cryptocurrency is a technology in its own right. And yeah. in so doing is an uh, inevitable part of the operating systems of the future. So we've got Bitcoin, which I think we've talked about as a store of value like gold. I know we, it's, it's not comparable, but it kind of is, right? It kind sort of, of is. is. I mean, you if know. you want to yeah, reduce it to a rudimentary level, then it, if we're going to be talking or, or caveman, let's talk, let's talk caveman. Oh, not even US dollars. US dollars is the antithesis of it. You can't, you can't print gold. The, true, the, true, the, true. the US dollar economy is, um, and it's completely inflated status and the capacity for the financial yeah, reserve, yeah. Uh, to, to, to the Federal Reserve to keep printing is the exact antithesis and the whole reason for the existence of Bitcoin. Okay. So that, so when I said like US dollars, I was thinking more from the perspective of it's a widely accepted. <laughs> the and the stalwart of the crypto ecosystem. It's, it's the light. It's, it's a, it's a widely accepted value. Yes, and a pairing, so, like a yeah, widely so then accepted what, currency pairing. Yeah. yeah, so let's say it's a widely accepted currency. Mm -hmm. People generally accept that US dollars are worth something. And will um, value things in it. So, so Bitcoin you can compare valuations yeah. in, in US dollar. In crypto, you would similarly compare valuations yeah. in, in a Bitcoin pair. Yeah, so you could say this pen is worth X Bitcoin. Yes. Or X ounces of gold, which it used yes. to be before we now say X yeah. US dollars, X, U, X Aussie dollars. Correct. Bitcoin. And is you a understand what that value means. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. As opposed to but, being in rubles. So, yeah. yeah. So, but, but as you said, the uh, Bitcoin due to the blockchain technology is transparent, all that sort of stuff, or all that stuff we talked about, all the advantages. But the thing that you just mentioned then was one of the advantages we didn't talk about is that it's not centrally controlled and it is limited in supply. It's not something that can just be printed like yep. like uh, yes. the, the federal reserve literally can go and print Every, more yeah. money yeah that's one of the main reasons why crypto has seen such an enormous boom in 2020 yeah so is it so is, is it actually is it actually limited in supply what is that limit there then? will only ever be 21 million bitcoin that's sort of written into the cryptographic code and not all have been mined. They are gradually being mined and it sort of follows a logarithmic um, curve. I think it's 2040 where we start to approach the last Bitcoin being mined. Yeah. So um, just to, just to pause you there, because I get confused when I hear, no, more, particularly yeah, I sorry, used to get confused when I heard this terminology of Bitcoin mining and I'm mining, like, what the hell is yeah. Bitcoin mining? How do you mine, <laughs> mine something that's on a computer? But, yeah. I think my understanding is that there's, so there's a limit of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be allowed to be created. And 
so let let's come we'll come back to how how do we know that that's the case but um it's so there's going to be 21 million and at the moment there's not 21 million bitcoin because it gradually gets let's just say gradually gets created yes and think, think, of a, hits, think of a think of a a jar with a small hole at the bottom and it's leaching out drop by drop and the more pressure is in there the faster it leaches out yeah yeah the more pressure is in there the faster it leaches out until the pressure that there isn't that much in there and the pressure starts to drop so it starts leaching out slower and slower and slower and slower and it'll approximate all the way to infinity so the 21 million will never be theoretically fully... never yes all oh, right okay because as you know, one you get once you get to twenty million or twenty one, yeah. twenty million yeah. and a half, it'll yeah. slow down the pace of these. This is sort of coins it's, it's, being. It's, and it's all being defined by mathematics. Right. Okay. Which is basically a computer code. It's code, um, which is open source code. Yeah. Okay. And anyone, anyone can, um, anyone can get the Bitcoin that way, and we won't go into any of the detail there. That's getting too complex. It's getting me. pretty technical. Um, yeah. And um, okay, so there's a limitation driven by the computer code behind it. It's uncrackable, but it's totally transparent. It's, it's never been hacked. Um, That's an important thing to been, consider because everyone always talks. Hacked. Okay, yep. Everyone always talks about oh, Bitcoin gets hacked all the time. It gets hacked all the time. There have been the last talk I gave. I, I have the list of I think there were 182 different hacks, um, which sort of flies in the face of what I'm saying. But the important thing to understand is that. Bitcoin itself has never been hacked. It's one of the biggest honeypots. It's a $1 trillion honeypot if you, can, if you can crack that code. So you can imagine people have been trying pretty damn hard. Um, but Bitcoin itself has never been hacked. The infrastructure has been hacked 181 times, pretty more hmm. by now. So you're talking, about, you're talking about, for example, exchanges. exchanges. So the stock market or the place where you buy and sell Bitcoin yes. That's the ASX, for example. That'd be like the ASX has been hacked. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so the infrastructure, the exchanges have been hacked that many times. That's a problem of an immature ecosystem, an immature infrastructure, and people still mm -hmm. understanding the security protocols that are necessary to scaffold around the system. But the technology itself, the code itself has never been hacked. And that's something, it's a very crucial difference to sort of yeah. underline here. Okay, so to spell that out again, Bitcoin's never been hacked, um, but the the things that we have created in order yeah. to buy and sell Bitcoin, Correct. those systems have been hacked. So the stock market, which is used to buy and sell shares, the stock market computers can get hacked the same way that so. Um, so what that would mean is that what because as you said, it's a young um, infant stage technology or it's it's not widely adopted, so it doesn't have the funds to, you know, people to put it's enough money into it. Then bottom-up system that is that yeah. is. It's one of the beauties of where we've gotten to at this point that a lot of us mm. often think about. It's a completely bottom-up system that has been driven by you know coders, developers sitting in their basements with their hoodies on, yeah. with zero top-down support. Mm. So yeah, zero zero top-down support. In fact, full top-down resistance from some of the most powerful industries in the world, global banking, global finance, government regulation. And yet it's gotten to this point purely mm. because of confidence um, from, you know, from the bottom up.
from the ground. Imagine, yeah. so, imagine if this had even 1% of support from the top down, which mm, I presume mm. is what we're starting to see with greater institutional involvement, and that is being reflected mm. at the price. So what, what anyone that's looking at trading Bitcoin that's worried about security is doing it in a smart way Absolutely. and not just doing it willy-nilly because that's where it's the, it's the exchanges that potentially can yeah. have the security issues, not Bitcoin itself. Okay. Yeah, or that's people cool. losing their you know, losing their private keys, yeah. losing their, their, their devices. Their, yeah. 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 Anyway, we've segued on. I can't remember what our initial point was. Yeah, so, so let's go to the – so I think it's part of getting that point across that what Bitcoin actually is and what it isn't, and um, it's purely a way to um, – Buy and sell stuff. Really, it's you know, in its most simplistic terms, it's something Exchange else that you and could store use value. instead of instead of money, um, an alternative. So, I guess in there's there's the practical uses for that. It could end up replacing regular currency because of its benefits. Um, so then you have different kinds of crypto. That's what we started to, and there's a whole lot of different things. Um, you know, we could probably spend a long time on this, but but maybe we'll just focus on um, other types of cryptocurrencies. I don't know yes. if we talk about what people talk about altcoins and yeah. non fungible tokens and things like that. But but is it more about practical um, business use or commercial use? I'll, yeah, I'll explain technology? this. I mean, the term altcoin, meaning alternate coin used mm. to just be any anything that wasn't bitcoin was an altcoin yeah. um until until ethereum gained such a large market share that now it's often talked about as bitcoin ethereum altcoins right, um yeah. ethereum is the second largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization um it really needs to be considered as an operating system that's essentially what ethereum is it's it's not actually currency of- right because it's, well, it has. I mean, it, anything has a currency. If you use it to exchange, if it has, if it is used to exchange value. So I suppose in that way, you can consider Ethereum a currency of sorts. But that's missing. That's the point like, I guess. I guess is. to to make a real life, um, it's almost going back to a bartering system where I'd say, I want to buy that car from you, and I'll pay you three hundred VHP shares. Yep. It's nothing but actually the stopping you from doing that. shares have the value because of other factors, really. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so what are the what are those in the Ethereum's case? Given that so, it's the second, it's a main yeah. one. Ethereum is principally an operating system. Principally, that's what it is. Think of it as like Linux, for example, um, and it's an operating system on which you can build um, multiple technological layers on top of that. So one of the key constructs within uh, understanding Ethereum is something called smart contracts. So smart contracts are something that is written into the cryptographic code that allows you to effectively pay your you know, for, the, for the money to pay itself. I'll give you a real life example. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, before you do that, when you talk about cryptographic code, are you talking about the blockchain? It's uh, yes, the, the 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 coding of this particular currency, that which makes mm-hmm. a currency. Ethereum or Cardano or Stellar. These are all just different right. names. Okay. Um, and so you can code in a smart contract. So uh, supply chains are, are a great example. So let's say you're sending, you're mining whatever, you know, something that we have iron ore in Australia and we're sending it to China to be made into cars. 
Um, yeah. To get from here to there, so the, the, the iron ore gets mined out of the mine, it, that moves from there to a processing facility, it goes from there to a port, and there it gets loaded onto a ship, it goes from there to its first port in Singapore, it gets transferred across into another port, lands in China, has to move to a warehouse, anyway, you get my drift. At each point along the way, you need to pay suppliers, you need to pay port fees, you need to pay excise fees, you need to pay um, you know, each of the ships along the way, you need to pay your staff. Consider the possibility of from the point at which thing was mined, smart contracts could be written in all the way through, such that as it passes from port to port, from hand to hand to hand, as that process executes, the money just gets siphoned off and that contract automatically pays itself, pays itself off because that smart contract has um, sensed that that step has been executed and therefore it can be paid off. That is a very simplistic explanation of what a smart contract can possibly do. So is it, across, in that example, is it, is, it, um, is it therefore replicating the individual banking mechanisms in order to take payment in each of the points? It is replicating a number of things. It's replicating, yes, the role of the bank. It is replicating the role of escrow systems. It's replicating the law, role, role of lawyers writing up contracts, establishing trust accounts. It's basically taking over the role of any intermediary that would otherwise exist um, in between, between A and B in terms of managing the financial um, uh, layer of that transaction. It's not taking away the, the role of the guy who was actually driving the truck mm. and to get it there, but we have constructed really complex systems and layers, um, which then require really complex systems and layers to facilitate and lubricate that process. And disintermediation is at a core of a lot of what cryptocurrency promises um, in terms of cutting out the fat and it's one of the reasons that's sounding like too much of a conspiracy theorist. It's one of the reasons why a lot of industries are threatened by this movement, because you have technology that can all of a sudden remove the role of all these multiple, multiple intermediate layers, um, which have been granted a role because we haven't had another way of doing it. Hmm. I guess if you're cutting out all the middlemen, then it uh, makes things more efficient. Um, Absolutely. But uh, there's a lot of industries and businesses that operate being, being the middlemen, right? So I think um, that that's a really good example and a good way to probably stop talking about altcoins because there's so many different types and we could keep yeah, going. Go on for a long uh, maybe we have another session to explore that further. Um, sure. Anyone listening, if you are interested in uh, hearing more about a particular uh, thing that we've talked about or angle that we've discussed, or, uh, you want us to go into a bit more, let me know, get in contact and, um, uh, we'll get Prash back on and we can dig deeper in a particular space. But I think the getting into these non-currency digital assets is more getting into the practical business uses, which is about, um, efficiency, cutting out middlemen, making business Thinking easier and more transparent as, yeah think of them as technologies in their own right yeah, beyond okay. just currencies yeah and and is it fair to say that if we didn't have all these other technologies ethereum and all the other practical uh, commercial crypto assets 
or, or cryptocurrencies, then Bitcoin is still sitting there as a potential replacement for regular currency. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, th- so it's almost, you've got Bitcoin and then all these things are extra things which uh, have different uses and different purposes. Bitcoin is, will disrupt finance at its core. Mm. Um, a lot of the other currencies will disrupt more than finance. They will disrupt mm. entire industries and the way they operate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. Um, so well, I think the fundamental thing and the great thing that we've talked about so far is uh, digging a bit into some of the traditional thinking of currency, the way we think about money and what is blockchain, what is Bitcoin, you know, why is it, you know, why are people paying all this money for this thing that isn't worth anything and what's anything worth? But um, so some, I think some really good things to ponder there. From a, and, and there are obviously some practical uses coming out of um, other, other technology. I mean, that's, that's all it is, right, technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so from an investment perspective, um, you know, can, can crypto be an investment? I guess if I think about gold or um, currencies generally, they're not traditionally good investments because you're um, you're just buying something that you know what is it actually worth? It doesn't provide an income. There's no underlying business associated with it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. How can you know, can crypto be an investment? And you know, how does risk management fit into that? And yeah, I mean, on multiple different levels, it can. Um, the one thing to consider, I mean, the, the most obvious thing to look at is that it is, you know, Bitcoin and, and I think a lot of other cryptocurrencies will still surpass any other traditional financial um, asset class in this. It, Bitcoin is certainly the most, it's the best performing asset class um, of the last dark, last decade by uh, so many leaps and <laughs> leaps and bounds. Um, and that is without question. Secondly, Yes, people often see Bitcoin as a risky asset class. I would beg to differ um, and I would take a contrarian view in saying that you consider that um, when you look at uh, Bitcoin is the highest sharp ratio of any asset class currently out there. This is best by the McKinsey report from probably a year ago or so. Um, so in terms of risk adjusted returns by, ver- by virtue of being such an uncorrelated asset class, um, its value as a as a hedge in a diversified portfolio is unmatched by anything else, um, and that's where when we're talking to conventional investors, I think that's where the value will be seen. For a lot of us who are in the ecosystem, and we talked about this, a lot of us in the ecosystem who prefer to weight our portfolios sort of very heavily towards cryptocurrency. That's, you know, that's our personal choice. But for the traditional investor um, who doesn't you know, understand it or believe in it to that nth degree, then its role could be seen very much as, as a hedge. You know, if your rest of your investments are sort of tailored towards or pegged towards traditional fiat markets, then having a completely uncorrelated asset class Never mind what its historical, you know, astronomical gains have been. Even taking that out of consideration, just having something that is that uncorrelated um, is 
you know, I'm not the financial advisor here, but I would sense by, by most conventional metrics is a sensible move um, in the context of developing a diversified portfolio. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, a few things on that, the, the challenge with looking at things like um, returns or sharp ratios or mm. volatility uh, measures are that, you know, they're always backward looking and you're just talking about numbers at the end of the day. And um, yeah, there haven't sure, been you know, numbers, numbers for long enough. Right? Yeah. And that, so it's been short term, the shorter term it's been around, the less it tells you about the future, not the past performance tells you anything about the future. Um, no. I guess the other thing, like any currencies, currency, any currency is, you know, impossible to look at from a, from the perspective of whether it's good investment. It's, I guess the way that I look at it being far more conventional is that if you are thinking about crypto, one is that a lot of people trade it, right? They're traders, which mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's a different, that's a different thing. That's, um, you know, buying and selling, uh, trying to, trying to buy. Capitalize on the volatility. Uh, capitalize on the volatility. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's not long, long-term investing, but it's, you know, no short-term moves, um, which can work for you, can, can work against you. But um, if you're not trading, then, you know, potentially really what you might be investing in is if, if the things that we've talked about are things that you'd say, you know what, this could become something big. I guess that's where you might, people might choose to allocate a something to it to say, I just want to have a bit of it in case it does become something big, the same way that this you is, might, you know, yeah. you might invest in, um, you know, Aboriginal art um, because you think it's going to become more and more popular around the world um, over the next hundred years. And so I better have a little bit kind of I think this is again, where we come back down to the ideology. Yeah. Understanding the ideology. And do you see this as having a role in the financial system or the operational system of the future? Because any future technology when judged by the metrics of the way we operate today is going to fail. The same way the first cars failed when they came out on roads that were meant for horse carriages. The only way to truly assess it is to really spend a lot of time thinking about what the future is going to look like, what and therefore what infrastructure is necessary to facilitate that version of what the future is going to look like, then consider what current technologies and systems are going to be outdated and outmoded if that version of the future is going to be reality and what current evolving technologies fit cleanly into facilitating that model. So again, it comes back to the ideology. Ideology, Um, yeah. Which is is why I think it was so important that we spend a lot of time on that and mm -hmm. not so much what most people probably think they want to talk about, which is price points. What, what should I buy? When should I yeah. buy? When should I sell yeah. this and that? Uh, right? I'll, 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 I don't know if we're finishing soon, but it's a, I mean, it would be a great leaving quote, but um, you know, very much on that point, uh, there's a guy called Andreas Antonopoulos. It's a mouthful. Um, he's Greek um, and he's one of the, one of, one of the best, almost interesting uh, Bitcoin advocates on the internet. His, um, his, his, his talks are really worth listening to. And this is a quote I'm stealing from one of his talks, which I thoroughly uh, believe in. He said, uh, in, back in you know, t- the advent of the, um, the dot-com boom, 
you saw what was happening. You were there around then and you saw what was happening then. And if you saw everything that was happening at the time and you went, oh, you know what? This is a great time to buy Yahoo stocks. You were right. You were absolutely right. But you have missed the entire point of the internet. That's, that analogy, I think, applies today. That if you see this, what's happening now, and all you can see is like, oh, I can make a quick buck on Bitcoin. You're right. But you have missed the entire point of um, the sort of paradigmal and ideological revolution that is underway. Mm. And that is what is worth thinking about and exploring more. And the true benefit comes from understanding that, not from taking a lucky point and punt on Bitcoin or some currency because your Uber driver told you about it. Yeah, yeah. Great point. Great point. And uh, if you can, uh, Prash, I'll get you to send me um, one of those videos that uh, listeners can, can check out and we'll put in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a great note to, to end on, Prash. But before I let you go, um, we are talking about some, as you said, we're talking about ideology here, um, which is the angle that we wanted to stick to because this is a podcast about purpose. This is a podcast that... Um, talks about the idea that there's far more to life than money and <laughs> when you're um when you're making any decisions with your money um even investment decisions all that sort of stuff it doesn't mean anything unless you're clear or at least you're thinking about your purpose and why you know why you're working so hard why are you investing what are you trying to achieve what is the point of it all um if we're not making all our financial decisions with that as our starting point, then we end up failing and we just end up with more money. We don't necessarily achieve more than money. Um, so, you know, with that, with that in mind, we know that different people have, you know, are able to define their purpose. Uh, most people really struggle with that. Most people define it differently at different times in their life. So, you, you know, you're still very young, but, based on your journey so far, how, how do you define your purpose right now? Yeah, right. Um, disruptive innovation has been always, you know, what I got my rocks off on, um, you know, to be at that forefront of what is the future. Uh, all of my work in even in psychiatry, which I still maintain a clinical load, is very much very much on you know the forefront of what uh, innovation could be. And for me, being involved in the crypto ecosystem, um, yes, there's money to be made here. But beyond that, there's there's a buzz to being you know having your finger on the pulse of where this where where the world is moving, and to an extent to be able to carve out. A little slice of that future, which I, I couldn't, I couldn't pay any amount of money for. Um, that is a huge purpose for me. Um, building this team around me, um, which has, which is full of people who has share a similar ideology and are passionate about this ideology. Um, that that is for me is priceless. And if I'm going to be more the final bit, I'm going to be more material about it. When I started this. I remember thinking that if I can make enough money either through investing or the business success such that as I delve back into 
um, more of a clinical load and working in psychiatry. And if I can work, not because I depend on it for money and I can work as a psychiatrist just because I want to and not be driven by a profit motive, that is how I really, that's the kind of doctor I would really like to be. And if this is something that facilitates that, then there is purpose. Awesome. Love, love the message. Love, uh, uh, love the idea of making work optional, making income optional so you can do the things you really love. Uh, thanks for sharing your insight, Prash. I uh, love hearing about the ideology. Again, we'll have more in the show notes. And uh, if there's anything you want to hear about in particular, uh, shoot me a note and um, we can, we'll explore that. Um, otherwise, thanks so much for your time and look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our aim is to share the knowledge with as many people as possible. So please share it with everyone you know. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and visit our website, richwithpurpose.com.au to get access to all our free resources. See you next time.